This is the All Markets Summit podcast from Yahoo Finance. Please welcome Adam Shapiro with Trump Organization Executive Vice President Eric Trump. When Donald Trump was elected the 45th president of the United States, he turned his business, Trump Organization, over to two of his sons, Don Jr. and Eric Trump, to run things. Now, Eric Trump is married to TV producer and Trump 2020 political advisor, Laura Trump. He's also the father of two children, one who's a two-year-old, the other who joined the Trump family in August. So they're definitely future employees. Thank you. To help run the Trump organization. Please help me welcome Eric Trump to Yahoo Finance. Thank you. I can't imagine what we're going to talk about. It's a crazy life, that much I can tell you. Uh, Well, you know, the title of this segment is Managing Under Pressure, and you've got a lot of pressure. I want to read a quote from the the Hill op-ed you published most recently. I'm keenly aware of how fortunate I was to be born the son of one of the wealthiest and most well-known businessmen in America. I'm also the first to admit that things are different when you grow up as a Trump. What's it like to grow up as a Trump? Well, listen, it's been crazy. Uh, it's been crazy in a lot of ways. And, you know, it seems like our lives have morphed in so many ways over the years. We came in, we were a nice real estate family, and we built condominiums all over New York and other places. And we grew that business very, very quickly. And all of a sudden, we started doing some of the best hotels in the world and golf courses and wineries. And a little show called The Apprentice came along. And all of a sudden, we were reality TV people. And I'm not really a reality TV person. It's not kind of who we are, but the show did incredibly well. And then you know, fast forward a couple of years past that, and all of a sudden, you know, he's running for president of the United States. And you know, as a family, we, we do everything together. Uh, we love each other. We are very loyal to each other. And if one person does something, we all hop in, we help. And that's what we did. Um, politics is not something that I love. It's not something that I'm passionate about. It's not something, quite frankly, that I'd ever want to do myself. Um, but we had a mission. We hopped in, and we figured it out. And we were very unconventional, and um, we were able to win. And so it's... You know, our lives have morphed in a you know, very, very interesting way. We, we were always a well-known family, but it's obviously kind of under the spotlight every 24 hours. It's, it's different now. And, and listen, we always realized we had big shoes to fill. We always realized that we were going to be under the spotlight. We always realized that we were probably going to be held to a different standard. And I think um, that's the case even more so. And I've lived a very clean lifestyle because of that. Well, let's talk about the shoes you fill. The Trump Organization, and this is coming from Forbes, they did a deep dive into the value, the worth of your father's assets. $3.1 billion. That was the estimated 2018 worth, uh, 2019. Uh, The value of New York real estate alone is $1.47 billion, and the golf course is $590 million. Help us understand what is the Trump Organization? Because you have the properties you own, but you also have the licensing agreements. Sure. I mean, for instance, Turkey is in the news right now, and there's Trump Towers in Turkey. Sure. It was reported that was a $10 million licensing deal. Yeah, well, listen, the Trump Organization is a lot of residential buildings, a lot of commercial buildings. We own a building not too far away from here called 40 Wall, right next to the Stock Exchange. We have, we have a lot of commercial assets. We have a lot of retail. We have a lot of residential. We have hotels all over the world. Um, we have golf courses all over the place, and we have other properties. I'm sure you've heard about Mar-a-Lago, and uh, we have a great winery down in Charlottesville, Virginia, and we have other estates and, and different things. So we're a big compilation of, of really properties. We believe in owning dirt, and you know, we did get into the licensing business. You know, you can't, as a company like ours, you can't go over to the Middle East and develop yourselves. You don't know the language. You don't know the culture. Um, 
you know, many, many of these countries are very, very insular. So what you do is, you know, in certain places, you go over, you find the best developer, you partner up with them, and you create something great. Um, otherwise, quite frankly, it's just never going to happen, right? I mean, the learning curve would be so crazy. In New York, we know what contractors are going to be incredible, what contractors are going to, I won't use the word, but take advantage of you. And, you know, you have that institutional knowledge. You know your way around. You know the language. You know the laws, you know how things are built, you know what kind of foundations work in the ground. You don't know these if you're building in Manila in the Philippines, or you don't know that if you're trying to invest in you know, Turkey or go into Turkey. And so the model was actually very good for us, but you know, just about everything that we have in the US is our own product um, that we built ourselves, uh, that we have our own money into. And, it's been, a, uh, it's been a great business model. When you talk about the business model, one of the criticisms of the Trump Organization when your father was running it is that he wouldn't pay bills and then would sue contractors. In fact, we see in Scotland, and we can talk because you do own Turnberry and you own the other property as well. Uh, I, there was just a recent report that the Scottish government is suing or trying to negotiate with the Trump Organization because it lost a lawsuit and that the Trump Organization won't pay up. Yeah, well, listen, take what you read for, for granted in the media because the story isn't even, but listen, we believe in paying people when they do great jobs and we get people paid incredibly quickly and we pay contractors, but you know, you'll have a story from you know, 30 years ago. I saw one the other day. Well, this person didn't pay me. Yeah, well, they didn't finish the job and they didn't do a good job and they flaked out and they were two months behind schedule and so you had to let go of them and you had to bring somebody else in to do the job that they otherwise would have and it's, it's called the real world. Um, you know, if somebody doesn't do a, a job, they don't show up for work, they don't do this, well, clearly you're not gonna, you know, it's, it's, and I don't think there's probably anybody in this room, I mean, you guys are all business owners or work in big businesses that if somebody doesn't fill a contract, you're gonna pay them 100%. But you know, because of who we are and because people like to take cheap shots at us, they come out with this stuff and um, Well, but it's, before it's your father insane. was elected president, yeah. you got into the dispute with Deutsche Bank. I mean, there was a default on, what was it, uh, 600 plus million dollars. Over the years, it's what they estimate, two billion in financing over the decades. But the Trump organization, with your father at the helm, went after the bank that had been his source of money. No, he went after a bank and he got a great extension and the world was falling apart. And I think a lot of people were doing that at the time. It's, I don't think that's, necessarily unique to, to us. I think a lot of real estate companies were going back to banks in 2008 and earlier when you know, the real estate markets were imploding and saying, hey, guess what? You know, I want another five years on my, uh, on my term. Or in that case, where the banks were desperately in need of, of money and you were in a cash-rich position, hey, I'd be willing to take you out, but I'm going to do it at a discount. If you want the money, great. Otherwise, you just let you know, a loan ride for you know, maturity. And, um, I think some of the best deals he's ever made has been in that where he has cash, a bank needs cash, and you know, you're able to negotiate discounts. But that's called, again, that's called the real world. That's called you know, doing business. And, um, well, you, you, know, said, you said, and uh, my father made a tremendous sacrifice when he left a company that he spent his entire life building sure. to go into politics. Sure. Politics has drawn the spotlight. For instance, yeah. Deutsche Bank is being sued by the House um, Financial Services Committee, House Intelligence. They want your dad's tax returns. They want the Trump Organization's tax returns. How difficult does it make it for you to do business? Well, listen, it's different. There's a lot of distractions out there. There's a lot of distractions out in the world, and it's, um, you know, it's crazy. You, you see a, I always thought that New York real estate was the most cutthroat, toughest industry. It, it pales in comparison to politics. I mean, the evil out there, you have a lot of people out there. And, you know, it's interesting. If you look at, if you look at business, people want to, you can have two totally different people from two totally different walks of life. You could have, let, let's use 
Ted Cruz and Bernie Sanders, just as comparison, right? And in New York, they'll be best friends. They'll be best friends because they'll have one goal in mind, and that's to build the greatest company or to develop the greatest widget or, you know, um, make the most money or develop something that's incredible or really emphasize an idea and go out and get it marketed and do something great. In politics, the financial component's not there, right? Well, to some of them it is, but to a lot of people in, in, or in politics, the financial component's not there. So what really motivates people in politics is oftentimes greed. And you walk the, the halls of Capitol Hill, I mean, look at Biden. Biden has been in politics longer than I've been alive. It's actually exactly 50 years and I'm 36, right? So he's exponentially longer than I've been alive. But you have a lot of people who are motivated in Washington, D.C. very differently than all of you are motivated here in New York. And it creates, it creates an evilness because they're fighting for power. They're not fighting for money. They're not fighting to build something that's a unique idea. They're not trying to make themselves better. They're fighting to retain power. And it's something that we had never come across as a family before. We had always been on the opposite side. We had always been on the capitalistic side. How do you build the best apartment? How do you design the best hotel? How do you build something on time, under budget? And all of a sudden, you go to the halls of Washington where you know, people, for the first time, are sitting in these white marble offices overlooking Pennsylvania Avenue. And they never want to leave. I mean, they hit the, they hit the jackpot, and they never want to leave. But why the, why the criticism of Joe Biden and Hunter Biden and not Mitch McConnell? Mitch McConnell was a Democrat who became a Republican and has been sure. there hey. for almost 30 years. Hey, hey, criticize. And I'm not saying that. I, I listen, I think, it's, I think it's systematic in politics. I, I, I'm, I'm one person who would love to see term limits be in there. And I hope they're getting posed tomorrow, quite frankly. But no, I think that can be the case. Um, I think that can be the case. I just think. I think money has corrupted politics in a big way. You see a lot of very shady things happening, and I think it's, um, I think it's very, very sad. You, you brought up money in politics, sure. and I have to ask, because of the current headlines, sure. whether it be Turkey, whether it be Ukraine, yeah. how does that impact your ability to do what you have to do? Because you brief your father, don't you, every quarter on the results of the business? No, not really. Uh, he's got uh, you know, far bigger things to worry about, and he trusts me implicitly, so I really don't. Um, I think, um, listen, headlines are headlines. Are headlines Headlines are, are, are interesting, right? I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, you do see what's happening. I, I see a kid, and I don't want to get overly political right now, but, you know, we gave up our business when my father got into politics. We, we went out, and we voluntarily stood out. I, I mean, I've spent my whole life, meaning my business life, building hotels and golf courses and other things and doing that and growing them around the world, and we did so very, very well. The second my father looked like he was going to win, we went and we turned off every single deal that we were doing overseas that wasn't already like inked. Remember, this is what we do every single day. And we said, listen, while he's in there, we're not going to do anything. We're not sitting on boards. We're not giving speeches overseas. We're not, you know, we're certainly not doing projects over there. We actually turned off the business and it probably cost us hundreds of millions, billions of dollars to do that. The difference is in so many situations in politics, people are getting into politics and then everybody's milking the hell out of it um, to line their own pockets. And, you know, this morning I, I went on and I looked up the average salary of a board member of ExxonMobil. 330000 bucks. Average salary to sit on the board of ExxonMobil, which is like the second or third or fourth largest energy company in the world. You have Hunter Biden, who made $600,000 a year, $50,000 a month, $600,000 a year to sit on the board of an energy company, a little energy company out of the Ukraine. And what, what do people really think is happening there? I mean, the average salary, yearly salary in the Ukraine is 1700 bucks, 1700 bucks a year in the Ukraine. And this kid who had plenty of problems is getting paid $600,000 to sit on a board exponentially more than board members of ExxonMobil. And 
Money has corrupted politics, and I think it's a shame, and something has to be done about it. Well, when you bring up Hunter Biden, um, you know, you went there. So I've got a quote to you, and this was from Yuri Litsenko, who is the prosecutor who was after Joe Biden and the, the previous prosecutor was Victor Shokin. But he said to Bloomberg News, May 2019, before the current whistleblower scandal and the Ukraine scandal were in the headlines, quote, Hunter Biden cannot be responsible for violations of the management of Burisma that took place two years before his arrival. So if that's the case, this is the man that Rudy Giuliani is basing his efforts uh, to gin up dirt with Ukraine. If that's the case, that prosecutor says Biden did nothing wrong. What's the business that your father's after? You know, the huge irony of, of the whole thing is when you have, when you have a son of, of a top politician of the U.S. sitting on the board of a company getting paid $600,000 a year with no understanding of the language, no understanding of the industry at hand, and, and no discernible duties, I think Americans, I think probably everybody in this room being in, this, in the real world, um, I think you probably look through it and say, come on, give me a break. You know, something fishy is happening here. When you have Nancy Pelosi's son who's sitting on the board of energy companies, right, while Nancy Pelosi actively goes out every single day, you can't drill for oil in upstate New York, totally fine, right? But you can't drill for oil in upstate New York, you can't frack, but it's sure as hell okay if, if my son sits on an energy company, on the board of an energy company in Ukraine, I think people find that pretty hypocritical. And all I'm saying is, I think if you look at our family, and, and whether you're, guys, I'm, I'm actually probably a lot more centrist than, than everybody would otherwise surmise, you know, seeing us on, on TV. In all fairness, I was born in New York, but I think we'll go down as one of the few families that have actually made a tremendous sacrifice getting into business. We've lost a lot of money, I'm sorry, into politics. We've lost a lot of money based on the fact that we don't do any deals, that we're sitting silent, you know, while he's in there, that we're not sitting on boards, we're not doing what all these other people are doing. And I think there's a lot of people on the opposite side of the table who are, you know, their parents get in or they get in and all of a sudden, you know, listen, how is Nancy Pelosi worth the amount of money that she's worth if she's been in government for the last well, let me ask you this. long period of time? And it, it, what I'm saying is there's, there's a lot of dirty money in politics and I think people need to realize that and I pe think people are finally starting to see through it and, and that has to change in this country. You bring up the issue of conflict of interest. Um, set the record straight for us. The Industrial and Commercial Bank of China was a client of Trump Tower, moved its entire, this is one of the largest banks in the world moving its entire operations to Sixth Avenue here in New York City, but apparently renewed a lease for $2 million a year at Trump Organization within Trump Tower. So we have, Set the record straight. Why is know, that not a conflict of interest? We, we have the Industrial Bank of China in, uh, in one of our buildings in, in Trump Tower, actually. They're not too far away from me. Um, they signed a lease in 2009 or 2010. It expired October of this year, right? Yeah, with, with two five-year extensions, which they could renew at their option. So, you know, Here's the problem with a lot of media, and I'm, I'm not, Adam, I'm certainly not saying No, no, you and I idea. get along, but no, no, I'm and trying by to understand way, why it's not a conflict of interest, because you're, the, look, look, the I, president's meeting right can, now can I, with can I, explain, can I explain to you? Yeah. If you sign a lease, is anybody in commercial real estate in New York in here? Or just in real estate in general? I'm, I'm sure you have real estate people in here. If you sign a lease, say in 2010, and it's a 20-year lease, or say it's a 10-year lease, and it expires this year, but a company has two rights to renew, at their option, which is like a very standard term in many contracts, right? You have a right to renew. You can't just tell them, you know what, guys? How about this? How about you get out of my... So, so, but they're moving, I, they're moving their operation to six, seven. We talked about, how would you explain this? I mentioned to you, I was on the campaign trail in Florida, followed your dad and Hillary Clinton in 2016. And I never forget the man I met inside the pickup truck. Yeah. He was a farmer. And he said to me, Adam, 
I'm not a high school graduate, I'm not educated, but I'm not dumb. How do you explain to him that the largest bank in the world, a Chinese bank, and we're negotiating as a government with, uh, with the Chinese government, and the Chinese government owns the majority stake of this bank, just paid the president's organization $2 million, and they're moving everything else to Sixth Avenue. They could have. Why would they renew the lease if everything's going to Sixth Avenue, if well, they're not trying to get influence? Well, they're keeping a couple floors. Um, because they have, Adam, I don't know what else to tell you. If you have an option, I can't kick a tenant out of a building who has a binding lease that was done in 2010. It, it's actually like an asinine assertion. It's, it's crazy. Like, you couldn't, if you, have a, if you have an apartment lease for 12 months and you decide you want out of it tomorrow and, and you have nine months left on that lease, you can't just go up to your landlord and say, congratulations, Mr. Landlord, I no longer want, I'm not gonna pay. You know what they do? They come back and they sue you for that. We had a binding lease. That was a long-term lease. When, 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 you, when you do office floors, right, you're, you're doing 20-year leases, you're doing 15-year leases, maybe you're doing a 10-year lease, but you have a tenant in a building for a very long time. You can't just throw them out. What am I going to do? Show up in the middle of the night, I'm going to lock their doors, and, you know, dear Mr. Tenant, you can no longer go into your, it's an, it's an asinine assertion. And by the way, let, let's get to the second part of this. I don't think there's anybody been, that's been tougher on China in the world than, than my father has been. And you see it, right? We have the best economy in the history of our country, and China's down by 27% this year. Uh, a lot of that's because of the tariffs. You see, and I talk to people all the time. People come up to me all the time. You know, I produce X, I produce Y. I'm moving my business out of China because, quite frankly, I don't want to be in the middle of this trade war between you know, the two superpowers of the world, and it's just much easier for me to go produce product in Vietnam or Pakistan or India or, or, or one of 100 different places. There has been no one in the world who has been tougher on that. And, and you know what I can tell you? China, quite frankly, is one of the reasons I think my father got into the race. It, it, it's a lot, and I, I'm happy to elaborate on it. But when, when you see intellectual property, when you see what happened to GE with the wind turbines, right, where the exact same wind turbine that GE spent years developing, including all kind of the computer source code and everything behind it, gets replicated. They, they, they buy one, they bring it over, they replicate the thing to the T, including all the computer program, and all of a sudden, GE can no longer make it here because they undercut prices by 30%. Like, we get the, the idea the, of why the, we're standing up to China. The, the through theft the of intellectual but, property is it's, but, it's insane. It has to be stopped. And there's never been somebody. So if, if you think the they're president's buying, absolutely standing if, up if to you China think that they're buying regards. influence, I, I, would, I would tell you you're well, wrong. Let, let, let's wrap up with this. They haven't decided where the G7 is going to be held. Sure. Now, I grew up in South Florida. Personally, I would have said, because I've never been to Doral, the Biltmore Country Club. Grew up not far from it. Great hotel, great golf course. Why is it not a conflict of interest? to have the G7 at Trump National Doral versus Camp David, where it's been in the past. Yeah, because we'd be doing it for nothing, and a lot of people love South Florida, and it's the right time of year for it, and we've got a spectacular property. You know, it's, it's no one denies it's spectacular, but just the, it just appears to be a conflict, doesn't it? You know, when they, when they do G7s, and you know, this is one other thing that people don't ever kind of give us credit for. Anytime the government comes and, you know, if, if my father travels, people, they stay at our properties for free, meaning like, you know, cost for housekeeping effectively because you actually have to legally charge government something. Um, so everywhere that, that he goes, if he stays at one of his places, the government actually spends, meaning it, it saves a fortune because if they were to go to a hotel across the street, they'd be charging 500 bucks a night, whereas, you know, we charge them like, you know, 50 bucks, right? And they're, they're there on property. And he never gets credit for that. And the, the whole point with the, the G7 is he would have totally funded it as well. It actually would have saved the, the U.S. a tremendous amount of money in that they wouldn't be paying for massive amounts of rooms at some hospitality company that was gonna milk the hell out of the US government because quite frankly, they, they knew they could. 
Uh, Doral is five minutes away from the Miami airport. So is the Biltmore, by the way. Incredibly easy to get to. And, um, and, it, and it sets up well for it. And it's 800 acres. And like, it would be the perfect spot to do it. And if it happens, great. Uh, quite frankly, if it happens, the government will save a lot of money. Uh, because again, we won't charge. Um, and if it doesn't happen, they'll go somewhere else that will charge a government an absolute fortune. They'll spend a fortune like they do on everything else. And um, I think America would actually. And, and then I think third of all, I think my father's a prideful guy. And um, you know, he built something incredible. And you know, it's, it's, um, you know um, there's a comfort level there. And, and he would like to show hospitality to these countries like they do to us. Eric Trump, if I ever learn to play golf, you have my word. I will play at Trump National Doral. But thank you so much thank for you being here at All Market Thank you guys Summit. very much.